Welcome to the sermon podcast of Southside Baptist Church, a body of Christ located in beautiful Norman Park, Georgia. We are so glad you chose to listen in today. It's our prayer you would find the message of Jesus Christ compelling and uplifting, and that your life would be changing continually from hearing the Word of God. If you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. And now for today's message. Myself thinking to myself, you know what, self, you probably ought to be prostrate on the ground, face down before your holy God. We serve a holy God, church, and we should be a holy people. Falling prostrate on our faces before a holy God. Wow. Wow. James chapter 4, 13 through 17, to see any plans apart from the will of God. Plans apart from uh, the will of God. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word uh, this evening. James writes this, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live or or and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Father, we bow before you. Lord, we bow before a holy God this evening. A God who not only expects us to be a holy people, but demands us to be holy people as well. And Father, part of that demand and part of that expectation, Lord, is to allow you to be involved intimately in the plans that each and every one of us make. And Father, we thank you and praise you that you are and you can be and that we should allow you to be a part of our plans. And Father, this evening as we prepare to uh, partake of your word this evening and, 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 and break apart uh, the, the bread of life. Lord, I pray that you open up our hearts again and, and transform uh, us into a holy people. Father, we love you and praise you. It's in Christ's name that we ask all these things. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. We are obsessed with the future. I mean, we desire to know what tomorrow holds. Even before we make it through the day presently, most of us, some of us, including myself, wake up in the morning. I'll wake up on Monday morning and wonder what in the world is going to happen on Tuesday morning. Well, man, you ain't even got through Monday yet. You ain't even got your feet on the floor. You ain't even got out of bed. But I'm still wondering what the future holds. We listen to the news thinking, uh, to find future events. We read books on the future. We search the internet. We read newspaper articles. We read magazines trying to find out what the future holds. We might seek fortune tellers. We might seek other 
mediums to try and discern the future. By the way, uh, just a side note here. Uh, if you go to a fortune teller and you walk in and they don't know your name, they probably can't tell the future. They should have known you were coming. Okay? We might even rely on that old uh, trusty soul, uh, the horoscope. Can you all do the horoscope? Okay. Nobody would be honest enough to raise their hand, right? The preacher's preaching on it tonight. Uh, we might even rely on that old trusty soul, the horoscope, to tell us our future. And the problem necessarily is not that we uh, make plans for the future. Or, in fact, that we even try to plan for the future. You know, planning for the future is good. In fact, Jesus uh, speaks about planning for the future. But we need to plan to make it to work. We need to plan for, to pick the kids up from school. We don't want the kids left at school because we haven't planned to pick them up or had somebody pick them up. And we need to plan to pay our bills. Okay? So making plans is not necessarily the problem. Jesus affirms that in Luke 14, 30, 28 through 32. He says this, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first, what, sit down and count the cost? That's making plans. Whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate uh, deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So it is necessary to plan. It's necessary for us to make plans for the future. And the problem is our attitude. What is our attitude about those plans? Our attitude about the plans that you and I are making is related directly to whether or not we include or we exclude God from those plans. One and again, as many times, it's our choice. It's your choice whether you want to include God. Oftentimes, we don't include God. Why? Because we don't want God to dictate our plans. It's my plans, God. I know what's best for me. So James is addressing that this evening. Now, he's addressing a particular group of people, the, the, these, these merchants. All right? And these merchants would go from town to town. They would make these plans. They would go from town to town, and they would say this. Okay, we're going to go to this town on such and such a day. We're going to stay this amount of time. And we're going to sell our goods and our wares at this location. So he's addressing uh, these merchants. But listen, the, 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 the application again for us is clear. And so we're going to see that uh, this evening. But they were arrogant in their boasting. They were sinful in their ways. They were not taking the will of God into consideration. They were making plans apart from and with no consideration to the very will that they, remember these are Christians that James is writing to, they as Christians were supposed to be loyal to. And so the point this evening is this. James exhorted his readers to take God's will into consideration into their planning. And we as Christians must take the will of God into our plans as we decide what we're going to do and what our future holds. So essentially we're going to, we're going to consider two separate lifestyles uh, this evening, if you will. Both of those lifestyles make plans. 
But the plans that they make speak volumes about the type of life each leads. So let's look first at the foolishness of plans apart from God. So we're going to look at that foolish lifestyle. Verses uh, 13 and 14, we read this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a place or such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. James says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For uh, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So James gives a, a hypothetical yet realistic scenario here. There were those who were saying, hey, we will go. So we will go. In other words, they weren't uh, saying, uh, let us go. They weren't saying anything like that. They were saying, we will go. So they'd already made plans. We're going to go. We're going to go. The verb there is future tense. It's an indicative mood. It means a statement of faith. In other words, again, they said, we will go. It wasn't let us go as if there was an alternative, as if there was something else that they could consider. Leave today at the earliest, but tomorrow at the latest. We'll go to a certain place. We'll stay for a designated period of time. We'll engage in a particular business while we are there, and we will make lots of money. We'll make lots of money. Notice what James, I mean, James is really specific here. He says they're going to go to a specific location. They're going to stay for a specific period of time. We're going to spend a year there, they said. It's a specific vocation, right? We're going to trade and make a profit. So they were, they were traders. They would take their wares and they would trade. And they're going to make a profit. The results of that would be making a huge uh, profit. It would make money hand over fist, if you will. It's like me saying this, today or tomorrow I will go to Kentucky where I'm going to spend a year as the head football or head basketball coach of the Kentucky Wildcat basketball team. And while I'm there, I'm going to knock down a large profit. Now that's hypothetical, but it's realistic. I could say that. I could make those plans. When the reality is that God never intended me to be a Kentucky basketball coach. God never intended me to be a, to make lots of money. If you know anything about public servants, public servants don't make lots of money. Okay? This was my first career. And then if you know anything else about pastors, they're not loaded either. We don't do it for the money. We do it because we love the Lord. But the point there is this. I make those plans, the specifics of those plans, but I don't do it with the attitude of where is God in this? Where is God in this? This was a presumptuous statement of fact these individuals were making. In fact, how can we really even make that statement of fact, James says, because you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. You know, when you really think about it, church, we don't know what the next second's going to bring. We don't know what the next minute is going to bring. We don't know what the next hour, the next day, anything is going to bring for us. So how in the world can we make plans about tomorrow, statements of fact about tomorrow, when we don't even know what tomorrow will bring? James compares life there to a vapor. He compares it that or a mist. 
says it appears for a moment and then it's gone. Psalm 102.11 says this, my days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. In other words, James is saying, listen, life is fleeting. We are not assured the next second. We're not assured the next minute. We're not assured the next hour. So he's saying, listen, be careful not to waste time on making these presumptuous plans, making these statements of faith when you don't even know, or statements of fact when you don't even know what tomorrow holds. Worry about today. Worry about today. What does the Bible tell us? There's enough trouble for today, let alone worry about tomorrow. He said, be careful. Don't waste time. You know, there's a significance. These an eternal reward and an earthly reward. These individuals were focused on that earthly reward. They were focused on one's own will. They were focused on that temporal, uh, then that temporal impact. They weren't focused on that eternal reward. They weren't focused on the Lord's will, that that kingdom impact. You know what? When we allow God to work in and through us as individuals. There is kingdom impact in our lives. In our lives. We can also be those who have that attitude of, listen, it's my way, it's my will, God. We're going to do this, we're going to do that. Those are the ones that have that their own will. That's that temporal impact. It's like eating cotton candy. Any of y'all have ever had cotton candy? What happens when you put that cotton candy in your mouth? It immediately does what? It's gone. It disappears. It leaves you with that sugary taste in your mouth, but the cotton candy melts away immediately as soon as you put it in your mouth. And that's what James is talking about. Listen, our lives are fleeting. They may be here uh, today, but they may be gone tomorrow. So why in the world are you worried about tomorrow? Because you don't even know what tomorrow brings. Jesus told the story of of the, uh, the, the rich landowner in chapter 12 of Luke, verses 16 through 21. He said this, the land of the rich may produce plentiful. And the rich man, he thought this, he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. He said, this night your soul will be required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You're a fool. You're a fool. Don't go home and tell people that the preacher called you a fool. I didn't call you a fool. The Bible says we're fools. It's, a, it's God's word that says we're fools. But instead of taking that, that plenty that he had, instead of taking what God had blessed him with and, and maybe giving it to the poor, maybe help those around him, no, he said, you know what? I'm just going to store that up. I'm going to hang on to that for, for what? For tomorrow. God said, you can hang on to it all you want, but it ain't going to be yours. But the foolishness of plans apart from God goes even further. Look at verse 16. Skipping over 15 for now. And it is, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. This was all arrogant boasting. 
when we make plans apart from God, when we don't involve God in our plans, when it's about our own will, that temporal impact, then we arrogantly boast. Making part, uh, those plans apart from God. Boast there means to glory. They gloried in their arrogant plans. They gloried in the plans that they had made apart from God. Maybe we're not being blessed as a church. Maybe we're not seeing the fruits, uh, the, uh, the blessings of God because we have separated ourselves from the will of God. We have made plans, maybe, as a church, and then we say, Hey, God, I've made plans. We've made plans. Now you bless our plans. You know, the interesting thing about that is we may see some blessings from those plans. We may see some fruit from those plans. But it's not the fruit that God will produce. It's not the blessings that come from God. It's the blessings and the fruit that we see in our eyes that we can produce as, as, as sinful human beings. The things that we can do in and of ourselves. Because if we would have allowed God to work in our plans, if we would have sought God with our plans and allowed God to dictate our steps, what does Jesus say? I'll give you life and give it what? More what? abundantly we would have seen the abundance of God the blessings that would overflow the blessings that would overflow but notice also this is the root cause of sin pride they were prideful when we do anything apart from God we're telling God listen I'm snubbing my my face at God I'm putting my hand up as the kids say talk to the hand God Talk to the hand. We just snub God. We say, listen, God, I don't need you. We don't need your help. We don't need your help. That's pride. That's prideful independence. That's that self-centeredness. That's that self-ambition that James talks about uh, in, in chapter 3. We're just essentially saying, God, we don't need you. We don't need you, God. We don't want your blessings. We don't want to live abundant lives. Lives. But not only that, it's not only arrogance, but it's also all this kind of boasting James calls evil. They had evil hearts. Their attitude was that of evil. It was being controlled by the devil and not being controlled by God. Think about Satan. Satan fell from heaven because of pride. Adam and Eve sinned. Adam, Eve sinned because, or Eve, Eve gave in to the temptation because of pride. Adam gave in, and he sinned because of pride. It's the root of all sorts of sin. The root of all sin really is 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 pride, because when you think about it, salvation can't come. The heart won't be transformed until the individual humbles themselves 
gets themselves out of the way and allows God to do a great work in their lives. And you and I will not, that will not happen unless we are out of the way and our self-centeredness is, is removed. It won't happen. That's why Jesus talks so much about the rich. It's not that the rich can't be saved. The reason it's harder for the rich to be saved because they're relying on their riches. And until they get the, the, the rich young group, when he came to Jesus, what did Jesus tell him? Man, you got to go and sell everything. Get rid of it all. But he turned around, snubbed his nose at the Savior because he had so much stuff. He had so much stuff. And, I, and, and nowhere else in Scripture does it say that individual ever got saved. So the reality is, is he spent an eternity in hell. That's the implication there. Verse 17, he goes on. So we, we, he's, he's, James has told us, listen, this is, just, this is just boastful arrogance when you and I decide, you know, we're not going to worry about the will of God. We're just going to do it on our own, God. We're just going to take our own, uh, our own will. It's arrogance. It's, it's evil, James says. But ultimately, he says in verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Ultimately, it is sin. It's sin. Now, there are basically two types of sin when you think about it. There's the, the sin of commission and the sin of omission. The sin of commission is when, the sin when we act to commit sins, whether in thought, deed, or word. If I was to say a curse word to my wife or whatever, that would be a sin of commission. I've acted and committed that sin. It's either intentional or it could be unintentional. I mean, think about the Garden of Eden. I mean, Adam and Eve, they, they, they intentionally committed that sin. That was a sin of commission. Those of us that drove uh, to church uh, this morning, we decided, or the, 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 just got on the roads at all today. If you went over the speed limit, that was a sin of commission. You decided, you know what, I'm going to go over the speed limit. I did it too. Jeez. Okay, I did it too. But there's also that sin of omission. And this is the sin that James is talking about here. That's the sin that is the result of not doing something that God te- God's Word teaches that we should do. Again, it could be intentional or it could be unintentional. In other words, we know the right thing to do. We know that we should include God in our plans. In fact, we know that God should be the, 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 at, the, at the beginning of our plans. Everything that we do should say, okay, God, uh, what's your will here, Lord? All of our plans, anything that we do, should be bumped up against Scripture, the Word of God. He says, so those who know the right thing to do, in other words, those who know, listen, you know, you're, you're followers of Jesus Christ. You know that you should include God in your plans. The Word of God tells us that. But you fail to do it, you've committed the sin of omission. Think about Jonah. Jonah committed the sin of omission. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. 
What did Jonah do? He went to Tarshish. He didn't go to Nineveh. Until God sent the big fish. And then he went to Nineveh. The city was saved. And then Jonah got mad. He got mad because people were getting saved. The Good Samaritan. In the story of the Good Samaritan, you have those other two individuals that walked right by that individual laying there. They knew that they should help him. They, they understood that, hey, man, that guy needs some help. Let's help him. Let's love our neighbor and help our neighbor. But yet, what did they do? They walked right on by. It's a sin of omission. They omitted the, the opportunity to help that individual. Then he comes along the Good Samaritan and he helps. So sin is not just something that we do or should not do. It's also something that I do not do that I should do. The moment that God impresses on my heart, hey, you need to go share the gospel with that individual at the, at the other gas pump. Or you need to go share the gospel with that individual standing behind you in line at the grocery store. Or wherever it may be. And I decide in my mind, God, listen, I ain't doing it. I'm not doing it. It's a sin of omission because you've just told God that you're not going to do what He, you know specifically in His Word He has told each and every one of us to do. It's a sin of omission. Listen, I, I really think that oftentimes that sin of omission may be a, a bigger problem for many. It is for, I think it is for me, than the sin of commission. Because I can, I can, I can, you know, when, when, I, when I want to uh, say an evil thing to somebody, I can oftentimes stop myself from doing that. Sometimes I can't. Sometimes my, my tongue gets out of control. But it's those times I wonder in, 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 in a day how many times I have committed the sin of omission. I just wonder that. Romans 7, uh, chapter, chapter 7, verses 14 through 20, Paul writes this. Uh, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, he says. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, he says. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Apostle Paul, he understood. He understood both of these types of sin, the sin of of commission, the sin of omission. But what he did understand was it was the sin that was in him and in his flesh, and his flesh battle, that's, that's his sinful nature, the flesh, was battling the Spirit. But regardless, 
whether we commit the sin of commission or the sin of omission, listen, when we fail to do what God has told us to do or we fail to do what Scripture has told us to do, it's a sin. James makes that very clear. So failing to entrust our plans to the Lord is an arrogant attitude. It also speaks to our unbelief that the sovereign God of heaven knows what is best for us. I mean, that's, again, it's a slap in God's face. God, you don't know what's best for me. You don't know what job I should take, Lord. You don't know where I should live, God. You don't know what church I should pastor, Lord. I know better than that. Man, I really didn't, I really didn't, didn't focus on this until I started studying this passage, and I didn't really focus on the reality of just how much I slap God in the face and tell Him, listen, God, it ain't about you, man. It's about me. It's about what I want, God. It's about what I desire. It's about my plans. He is either Lord of our lives or He is not. We cannot ride the fence. We can't make God Lord of our lives in the areas that we want God to be Lord of our lives in. And then not in other areas. It doesn't work that way. If He is Lord, then He is Lord over our plans and our purposes. But let's talk about the alternative tonight. James gives us an alternative. The freedom of plans together with God's will. Verse 15, he says, instead. Instead, he says, listen, there's, there's an alternative. There's something else we can consider. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It's real simple. There's an alternative to being foolish. It's the freedom provided when we turn our plans over to God. Again, that word instead there, it's an alternative. It speaks of an alternative. Our plans uh, should be prefaced with the fact, James says, if the Lord wills, then I will do such and such a thing. So on the flip side of that, if the Lord does not will, then I will not do such and such a thing. But James says, listen, it ought to be prefaced with those words, if the Lord wills. Will there, it means to be resolved or determined to purpose. So how does this give us freedom? You might say to yourself, man, that's awful I don't know about that. How does that give me freedom? How does that give me freedom saying that if the Lord wills? Well, when we say if the Lord wills, we can be certain that God is involved. It gives us freedom because we can trust that our plans will be successful. When God is involved, your plans and my plans will be successful. Now, we got to be careful because we got we can't look at it from success in our eyes. Because then we're getting back to 
thinking about it from our point of view and thinking about it from our attitude. Listen, when you read through the book of Jeremiah, his ministry was a failure in the eyes of mankind, in the eyes of humanity. He was a failure. But God used him mightily as a prophet. It wasn't any mag- magnificent thing. It wasn't any great things. But God, uh, but God worked through Jeremiah because he allowed God to work through him. We have freedom because we can trust that our plans will be for our good, regardless whether the circumstances might dictate otherwise. We can also have freedom because we can trust God will be glorified and the kingdom of God will benefit. And that's all that matters. If God is glorified and the kingdom of God is benefited, then it doesn't matter that Michael is glorified. It doesn't matter if the church is glorified because God is glorified. And if God is glorified and the kingdom benefits, guess who also benefits? I benefit, you benefit, the church benefits. And then the individual that was affected by us doing the will of God benefits also. And that's the next point. We can trust others around us will also benefit. We get, it gives us freedom because we recognize that God is Lord in our lives, including the plans we make. And there is no greater freedom when God becomes the Lord of your life and the areas of your life that you struggle in. Man, it's freedom. It's freeing when, when, when you finally give in to God and you say, Lord, it's all yours. Man, there is no more greater freedom than that. Think about your salvation experience. When you say, listen, I want to get myself out of the way, Lord, and it's all about you, and you receive Christ as personal Lord and Savior. Can anybody not tell me that that was the most freeing experience ever? No amen or nothing on that? We also feel that freedom when we fulfill the purposes God has for each and every one of us. We've all been given a purpose. God didn't put you on this earth. If you're still breathing, God has a purpose for you. We, we, we have that freedom when we submit to the sovereignty of God. God knows best and we, we must accept that. God is sovereign, church. God knows best. God created the universe. God created me and, for, and created you And there's freedom because we can trust that our example will have an impact on the world that watches us. I've always told you, and I've told you this many times, I don't want the world to say, have you seen what Southside Baptist Church is doing? I want the world to say, have you seen what God is doing at Southside Baptist Church? You see the difference? If we say, if people say, have you seen what Southside Baptist Church is doing, you know what they're saying? Then we're saying, oh, that's the, that's the, will, of, that, that's the, South, that's the will of the people in there. 
But if people looking from the outside, looking at this church and looking at the people of this church and say, man, have you seen what God is doing in the Southside Baptist Church? Huge difference. Huge difference. I liken this to an architect and a builder. The architect is the individual that prepares the set of plans. He painstakingly goes through that system. They use a CAD system. I don't have any idea what that is. But it's a system. They put it on the computer and they design that building. From top to bottom, all the furnishings, all the light switches, the light sockets, the, the, all those other things. And then that architect takes that set of plans and he gives it to the builder. Now, they work out the details and all those other things. But say that builder takes that set of plans that that architect made. And he says to that architect, well, those plans are junk. And he just tosses them aside and he builds that building the way he thinks his, the way that building should be built. He's not an architect. He didn't go to school to be an architect. He didn't go to school to learn that CAD system. He didn't go to school to learn all these other nuances. He specializes in building the building from the plans that he's been given. Wouldn't it be foolish for that builder to say, listen, I'm going to discard the plans of that architect and set those plans aside and then try to do it on his own? So what is it not foolish for us to take the plans of the architect who is God, the creator of the universe, and set those aside and say, Lord, I'm going to do this on my own. Have you seen my skills? There's freedom when we take the plans of the architect and we put those plans in our life and we say, okay, Lord, these are your plans. Guide my steps as I follow your plans. You're the architect, God. I'm I'm, I'm nothing. You're the potter, I'm the clay. Mold me, Lord. The clay doesn't get to tell the potter what he wants to be. Acts chapter 17, verse 28, Paul says this. Speaking before the Areopagus, he writes this. For in him we live, that's in Christ, we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So the spiritual children, the spiritual Christian, submits himself to the will of God. He keeps God's viewpoint on his whole life. We see the world from God's point of view and not from man's point of view. And God is the architect of our lives and we must build our lives based upon the plans he has established for us. Where do you find those plans? Through prayer? Through Bible study? Talking to other Christian people? Talking to pastors? Talking to parents that see things in their children? Listen, parents, you have a, you have a, a, a prime opportunity to see things in your kids that most people don't see. You can help them discern the will of God. So I want to close this evening with a very famous and well-known hymn. 
but it speaks directly to what you and I as followers of Jesus Christ should be saying to the Lord. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me, make me after thy will. While I'm waiting, yielded and still. Are you yielded? Are you still? Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now. As in thy presence, humbly I bow. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Hold over my being absolute sway. Filled with thy spirit till all we can see. Christ alone, always living in me. We allow God to have his own way. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and thank you, Lord. Man, it's been a great day. Lord, it's been a good day. It's been a great day. Father, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to serve you, God. So thankful for the opportunity that you've given me to be your child. Father, I pray for each soul represented in this room. Lord, I pray that they allow you to have your way in their lives, God. It's never too late. If we've been given breath, Lord, we still need to be seeking your will in our lives because there's still opportunities out there. Father, I pray that that each and every one of us, Lord, will pause and we'll be still and we'll allow you to, to mold us, Lord, allow you to make us. Because you don't make junk. You're not going to mold us into something that you don't want us to be, Lord. And so I pray that each and every one of us seek your will. God, that we can say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or we will do that. Because the reality is, if the Lord wills, I'll take my next breath. Father, I thank you again for the day. But I pray as we go our separate ways, Lord, that we again... Seek your face, seek your guidance, and seek your will. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' holy name that we ask this. Amen. You're dismissed. Thanks again for listening today. We hope the word preached today would be used by God mightily as you go about your week. Again, if you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. Have a blessed day and may God grant you grace this week to grow more into the likeness of Jesus. Thank you.